even though it's going away, sort of. Only the branding, not the yeah. universe. No. Well, we'll see if the convergence. Yeah, but that's one of those media blitzes that just annoys me because they take a line that is easily misinterpreted and use the misinterpretation as all of their headlines. Yeah, well, it's attention-grabbing. Yeah. That's just one of those things about modern Internet news is almost never news. It's rumors and hearsay. Well, what's the term I've heard? Clickbait. Yeah. They're trying to get you to click on it. And I actually don't mind clickbait whenever it's entertainment stuff. You know, this puppy dog ran after this kitten, and you can't believe what happened next. You'll you'll cry at 30 seconds in. Well, if you like puppies and kittens, go watch the last video. You know, whatever. Yeah. But if it's if if you're pretending to be news, and you have a headline grabber that makes you click through, that is not an accurate representation of what your story is supposed to be saying. That's annoying to me. And there was a, a site that I actually had a high regard for that did that recently. And the editor said, well, I got you, the headline got you to click through, didn't it? And I was like, oh, I had more respect for you than that. <laughs> so basically like, ah, got you, sucker. Yeah. And it, was, it was the same. It was actually the same story. It was the whole uh, New 52 is ending. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Anyways, so um, Warlock's Friends and Enemies? Yes. Hold on a minute, though, because I realized halfway, partway through this episode, but I didn't want to have the clicking too much in it, in it that I completely forgot to set that up. Oh. <laughs> we can chillax. I was so distracted by other things, I completely forgot to get that done. So let me go to find out where it is, what, what, what they were. I'll just talk to you while you're thinking. I have... Um Welcome back, Frank, on my iPad that I've started. And Marvel Comics number one would be on there, except that I actually already did that episode with... with yes. Uh, What's his brains? Yeah, because I already it's, heard that. Oh, you already heard that one? Yeah. Well, if the uh, Raw thing's up there, I listened to the Raw. Oh, I didn't realize you put the Raw of that up there. Okay, yeah, cool. and so the Raw is both those episodes, because the Raw is more entertaining to me. Silver Surfer Parable, Marvel Zombies, Iron Man Armor Wars, and Avengers the Kang Dynasty are all stories I've wanted to read. And they're all coming up. I don't think I've read, except for the Avengers one, I don't think I've read any of those. I've never read any of them. Um, The Kang Dynasty is from this series that started with Jeff Johns. I don't know if the 41 through 55, if that story is his as well. No, no, actually it's a story series. Johns came on later. That's the series that started. That was the Heroes Return series. Oh, that's right. That's Kurt Busiek and George Perez. Oh, yes. Okay. Even better. Yeah. Uh, Johns comes on after they leave. Okay. Okay. First appearance of... Punisher is after that, which I've read probably five times. A, a random Alpha Flight issue that I don't know. Alpha and then World War that? Hulk. Wait, huh? why, is Alpha, why is Alpha Flight on that list? Alpha Flight number 12. I have no idea what that is. Oh, okay. Oh, that's on the list of the greatest ones? Yeah. Okay, I know what happens there. Yeah, that's a John Byrne issue. Okay. Um, I've read World War Hulk before, but I'll look forward to reading that again with no uh, crossovers, just a straight-up mini. I've never... No, I have, but like 20 years ago, I read the Chris Claremont Wolverine miniseries. So that'll be a first time reading since my adult life. 
that I think is the first trade I ever had. Yeah, yeah, we had the trade of that too. I don't know if it was our first one, but it was one of those early ones, back before trades were everywhere. Yeah, I got that on a school trip actually. I forget where we were going, what we were doing, but we're on the bus and we're on the way back, and it was sitting not in the garbage, but on top of it. <laughs> like, just sitting there on top of it. And I was asked, oh, because I like reading stuff. I'm like, what's, can I have, can I read that? He's like, I don't know where this came from. Take it. I've read Avengers Disassembled. I've read that first 11 issues of Thor God of Thunder. I've never read Deadpool Kills. No, that one I haven't read either. That's, I'm, I'm not a huge Deadpool fan. It depends who's doing him. I really love the um what who did that who was that series by? The Joe Kelly run? Uh-huh. It was like the first it was like the first time he actually had an ongoing. It's like thirty three issues. It so much fun. The best is still issue like eleven where he goes back in time to an issue with Spider Man and interacts with everybody as if he's Peter Parker. Okay, that one I know about. And it's all... Because like uh, there was an amazing Spider-Man Classics episode. Yeah, and there's half of him looking at Norman Osborn going like, what's with your hair? How does Avengers that work? Avengers 57 is... It, huh? It's like, how does your hair work? I don't get it. He glues Tootsie Rolls to his bald head. Avengers 57 is after that, and we were going to record that, but we were holding off on it until after we see Age of Ultron. Oh, because that's the first Ultron, yeah. Yeah, and, and the Vision's in that, too. So we just, you know... To, I didn't want to say I wonder what things are going to be like in Age of Ultron whenever we want this to be kind of a timeless series. So even though the episode comes out 24th of June, we're still going to wait until May, June to record it. Record. Okay, I found the issues. I just got to go down a re- complete reading order to actually get a description. Okay. Um, the whole Hawkeye run, I've read most of that. I am the giant size X-Men issue. Oh, giant size Uh, one? Well, yeah. Yeah. I've read the Korvac saga, which is also published under the title of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's right. I remember you said, I remember you reading that because you didn't like it as much as I did. ASM 700. I, yes, we have recorded the issue for ASM 700. The episode for that. Did we do giant size X-Men number one? I don't even remember recording that. I guess we did though. And I have never read Astonishing X-Men. No? The, the we- Joss Whedon stuff? Yeah. I liked it, for the most part. Actually, I have read the first arc. I read, like, the first six issues of it. Oh, The Return of Colossus? Yeah. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 36? I think that's the 9-11 issue. You don't have to be too quiet. Uh, 36? That is the first... That's the first JMS issue. From what I remember, I think that's the first Morlun, who's the you know the one of the main okay. guys in the Spider Verse. Yeah. No, I think I think you're wrong. I think he comes on around thirty one, thirty three, something like that. Oh no, you're right. You're right. He was before that because I, I think they end that story and then they do the uh, the nine eleven issue. Yeah. And then I'm doing the one for fifty, which is the first Kingpin and the death of Foswell. Oh, is that when he dies? Yeah. I knew he died eventually, but... <clears throat> Before getting reincarnated as Sam Foswell in the Post-Crisis Superman books. <laughs> I don't remember that, really? Yeah. There's a competing newspaper that Clark goes to work for for a while, and Sam Foswell is a direct homage to Frederick Foswell from 
early Spider-Man. Looks just like him. Oh, wow. Stephen Lacey is doing Ultimates number one, which I'm pretty sure is a typo and should be Ultimates series one. Yeah, but I think I remember reading somewhere that actually... hmm. Yeah, that makes more sense, because issue one is okay, but the series makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice little Captain America uh, story, but it's totally a prologue. Yeah. You want the whole story. You want the whole story. And the Ultimate Series 1, well, I, I contend that Series 1, Series 2, take it as a unit, is, is, is a fantastic piece of comics literature. But um, I'm trying to remember if I read Series 2. I know I read 1, but I don't remember if I ever read 2. 2 is, two is a better half. But, I mean, as a as a whole, it is a, it is a fantastic work. Because a lot of times he's a little Miller gets a little too cruel. He's a little too mean. Yeah. Like even the guys who are supposed to be the good guy are still kind of com- complete dicks half the time. Yeah, I can see that. There's a little bit of that. It's not as bad. It's funny that Planet Hulk and World War Hulk are both on this list in the wrong order. Wrong order. Well, they're in the wrong order if you're going up the list. Oh, okay. Um, Captain America 25, I've read that before. Fantastic Four 285. I don't know what Fantastic Four 285 is. I don't know that one either. Okay, so let's go find Thor. The cover has Johnny Storm declaring he can't be the Human Torch anymore. Oh, this this... Secret, Secret Wars 2 issue. Oh, I think that's the issue where, like a little kid like burns himself or something trying to imitate the torch. Oh... Okay. I don't think I've never read that one, but I think from what I've read about it, that's what it is. Yeah, that's Andrew Leyland and Scott Gardner. Okay. The Kree Scroll War. I'm on for that'll be fun. I've never read Thunderbolts number one. Oh, so good. I mean, granted, it's not as much for you because it's right now you probably know the reveal at the end is what makes it so good. I, I I picked that up. I remember reading that when it came out. And when I got to the last page, I was like, holy crap! Because it was such a surprise. I'm curious now how it reads to somebody who knows about it. Um, yeah. I'm pretty good at reading things in their context. I, mean, I know where it's going to go, and I can still enjoy And there's also, like, there's two ways to experience a story. There's the first time, and there's the second time. And a lot of, and, and the best stories, I think, both of those have their own rewards. Yeah. So even though I won't have the uh, the virgin experience with it, I think I can still hopefully enjoy enjoy it. Hopefully, because I remember really loving that run. Uh, Sarenko on Shield. Oh, go ahead. Are uh, all, that all done? Yeah, yeah. I got them. When there's four of them: is FF, Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor. Which two do you want? Um, I want FF and. No, I always do FF. I want. Um... You know, I don't even care. <laughs> All right, so how about I give you then instead of that, I'll give you Iron Man. I'll give you uh, I'll do FF and Hulk, and you do Iron Man and Thor. Okay. So let me just copy what I copied. Hopefully, it all went through. Did it? Uh, I was checking Thor and Iron Man. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so that's right because it's mar- it's bi-monthly, and there's no Marvel premiere because that's also bi-monthly, but it's on the same month as Captain Marvel. At least I think it's bi-monthly. I don't know. There just is no. Marvel. There's never a Marvel premiere the same month as Adam Warlock for some reason. Oh, yeah, I think those are bi-monthly. All right, well, that's okay because Marvel premiere is not a person. Yeah, but it was his home. 
And it's kind of fun to see what's in there because they've been doing like Doctor Strange stuff with uh, like the last issue or two was like a Doctor Strange story by Gardner Fox and P. Craig Russell, which is just an interesting mix to me. You know, you got these newer 70s, you know, artists with, you know, Gardner Fox. Okay, let's go ahead and knock this baby out because yep. I have to yep, go got, soon. No, that's fine. All right, now we got it. We'll do. I'm just going to throw the reprint stuff on since I got that in front of me, and then we'll do those Friends and Emmys, and we're all good. Okay, cool. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and with me back again is... John Wilson, but this is no longer Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast. You got the name of your own show wrong. I keep forgetting. <laughs> this is the Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Yes, I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> well, before long, Thanos is going to take the, the front seat on things, because uh, we only have a couple more issues of this thing. Yeah. It'll be fair, in this episode, we're just talking about Warlock. There's no Thanos here at all. Oh, that's true. He doesn't know who Thanos is. <clears throat> and Thanos uh, has only just been revealed over in Captain Marvel, so um, yes. hardly anyone knows who he is right now. Yes, he's, he was just revealed in a very bad reveal, I think. Oh, you didn't like that? It's just, A, he only appeared once. So you make it a big, a big thing about who you know who this Master Lord is. But it's somebody that almost no one heard of, and then also you kind of tell the story of Titan in the very beginning of the issue before you reveal who he is. They tell the story of Titan, who is ruled by a dictator named Thanos, and they talk about Thanos a lot. So it's kind of like, well, whoever this guy is, probably Thanos, whoever that is. But then it's like the whole Star Lord thing. Everyone's like, who? Who is this guy? Yeah, it just was like, wow, that really didn't work as a reveal. <laughs> At least I, not I, for me. I can dig that. Yeah, your uh, your last episode is in my feed, so I have not heard it yet. But um, yeah, but I did read the issue because I do like to see what's going on for the for the episodes. And I've read this issue too. Our our, our issue for today, which is Warlock Six. Yes, the brute. Yes, the brute. Who does have a bit of history after this, from what I understand? Because I know he became a part of the Frightful Four at some point. Did he really? I remember seeing him. Somewhere, like, I think it was, like, a Marvel handbook for, like, the part before, showing, like, all the members, and it showed the brute. Hmm. But I really don't, I think this is the only issue, real, only in this storyline have I really read anything with him in it. Yeah, and, um, well, we should probably do the synopsis before we get too much into it. Yes, so, hold on a minute, people, I'm gonna drop in the synopsis, and then John and I will be back to talk about this issue until we're tired of it. Warlock number six, The Brute. Cover dated June 1973, with an estimated on-sale date of March 27th, 1973, and an original cover price of 20 cents. Script by Mike Friedrich, artist Bob Brown, inker Tom Sutton, letterer Charlotte Jetter, colorist Andrea Hunt, plot by Ron Goulart, 
Editor and original story idea, Roy Thomas. Cover art is John Romita Sr. The issue opens with Adam under attack by military helicopters. President Rex Carpenter is blaming Adam for the attack by the Deathbirds and the possibility that the Soul Gem is hypnotic. We flash back to when the army first showed up at the refugee camp where Adam and Doom were. The people there didn't want to let the army take him after Adam saved them. The army is ready to use tear gas to disperse the crowd, but Adam asks them to leave so they aren't hurt because of him. Jumping back to the present, Adam flies away to draw the fight away from the innocents. Meanwhile, Doom calls the president to try and get the hunt called off, but is ignored. He then tries to contact his friend Reed Richards, but Reed has problems of his own. When Reed hangs up, we see his arms have become huge and a purplish-gray color. We get another flashback, showing how Reed and Doom met at college. How they became roommates, close friends, and friendly rivals. After the accident which damages his face and causes the need for his mask, is Reed Richards' friendship which keeps Doom from going over the edge. Then, in 1961, Doom tries to convince Reed and three others, Ben Grimm, Sue, and Johnny Storm, from taking an experimental rocket up into space. He fails, but due to the man beast interference, they do not become the Fantastic Four. They crash back to Earth and are all fine, except for Sue, who was hurt and put into a coma. Ten years later, and we see Reed's hand one day change, and then the rest of him. He is now the Brute, a large, purplish-gray hulking figure. Eventually, he learns how to change back and forth at will. Back to the present again, well, actually about a day before the present, and the Brute is greeted by a mysterious person in a suit, who hypnotizes him into obeying. In California, Adam meets up with Estrella, who claims there is a secret meeting of important people who don't believe the president about Adam. She offers to take him there, but from her thoughts we know she is lying. On the Golden Gate Bridge, the Brute attacks. Adam fights the Brute off and then makes his way to the location Estrella gave him. He finds Doom the only one there until a beaten Jason Gray shows up. The others have been captured and only he has escaped. In 1939, Timely Comics published its first issues. It later changed its name, first to Atlas Comics and then to Marvel Comics. In 2014, Marvel polled its fans asking for the 75 greatest Marvel stories from those 75 years and published that list in print form. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels countdown will walk through all 75 of these stories every Wednesday from December 31, 2014 to June 1, 2016. Join me, Blaine Dowler, and a cadre of other hosts, including established podcasting greats and emerging talents, as we run through the list, discuss each story in the context of its original release, and determine just what makes it so great. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown can be found at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. And we are back! Yay! Very well done. Very well synopsized. I was sitting on the edge of my seat. So was I, because I have no idea what I wrote yet. <laughs> <laughs> the synopsis is always the very last thing I do, almost. It's like, while you're editing, oh yeah, i got to put that in here now. What should I say? I keep forgetting. <laughs> Warlock fights some guy who's a human and a monster at the same time. That's yeah. like every issue, though, right? Pretty much. 
and people kill it and think it's a skunk and think it's a pet. Right. The end. Something about the soul gem. Yes. Which we're not sure what it does still. But we get more about it in this yes. issue. So Okay, so I want to hear your thoughts on this cover before I say my thoughts. My thoughts on the cover... Well, the warlock is... I'm not thrilled with the way warlock looks. Uh-huh. It looks... His face looks... His face looks very Hulk-like. Like there's this something... This is a Sal Buscema cover, I think. Well, that would make sense, because I know he did... Sal Buscema did do a lot of Hulk. I actually haven't a chance I to look at the cover I don't yet. know that for certain. I'm looking it up. But he has that um, signature, like, trapezoid-shaped mouth that he does. Yeah. But I'm, dig- sure. I'm digging the Reed Richards and the Brute on the cover. It's a good look. I'll just have to be honest. I am not a fan of the Brute. It's like the lowest memory I have of this series from last time I read it. And reading it back through this time, it wasn't as bad an experience as I expected it to be from my memory. But I don't know. It's just not really something I like, and that's the huge emphasis of this cover. So it just kind of makes me hate the cover. The cover is done really well. The whole Reed Richards brute transition is executed very, very well. And I like the little guy in the background going, oh, my gosh, it's the brute. Yeah. But um, but I just I don't like the brute, so I hate the cover. <laughs> oh, that's it's fine. Fun. No, that's it's fun. probably not fair of me, but it's there. Well, yeah, if you're not going to like a character, then it's, you know, the character showing big on the cover is not going to make you like the cover, really. You know, it doesn't matter how awesome someone draws Wolverine. If you hate Wolverine, you're not going to like any Wolverine cover. Yeah, but if you hate Wolverine, you're not really a comics fan. There's a rule about that, right? Yeah, it's either Wolverine. Well, you can't be a Marvel fan, I think. Right. That's the rule. Like, if you hate Batman, you can't be a DC fan. Okay, so the cover credit is actually John Romita. Oh, wow. Which um, makes a lot more sense with the body work, I think, than maybe Sabusema, but... Um, I'm a little bit surprised that he did Warlock's face that way. Yeah, it looks a little off. Romita has more control over faces than that. I'm not sure. Maybe was, he, was there an inker listed? Um, not from Mike's. There might be one over at comics.org, but I didn't go there yet. Oh, that's fine. No need to go nuts. But I'm just wondering, maybe it was the inker affected that. Oh, it, you know, I wonder now if this is a Romita cover with Busema inking. Because I seriously, those look like Buscema mouths, especially on Warlock. Yeah, more so than the Reed, than the Reed Richards. I mean, the Reed Richards. You say Ramita now, and I could kind of see that because it kind of makes me think of. Uh, I'm looking at it now as I'm. You say Ramita, it makes me think of like his uh, Spider-Man run. Yeah, because that even looks like the blue suit that you kind of almost always saw Peter Parker wearing. Yes, it does. It is definitely his suit. Counter Earth Reed Richards stole Counter Earth Peter Parker's closet. <laughs> he raided his closet. Blue suit, blue suit, blue suit. That's the blue suit I want. Okay, they are giving, uh, comics.org is giving both pencils and inks to John Romita. Huh. So, I don't know. It's just a little bit different than what I expect from him. Yeah. But that's okay. You know, the man's awesome, but no awesome person can be awesome all the time. No. But then, like, between, um, the cover and the splash page, Warlock gets some 90s muscles. Yeah, he is jacked up there. He's got, like, all sorts of bulges and, like, down the ribs and in the underarms, just, like, really weird bulge places. It's it's. Well, we have a new artist here. We have Bob Brown. 
Bob Brown. Now, did you do any looking up on Bob Brown before yes. this? Yes, I did. Because I did not. So good. Thank you. I have a little bit looked up on Bob Brown. He actually, uh, he was a Golden Age creator, actually, even. He was born okay. in 1915. He passed away in 1977. Oh, so this is right towards the end of his life and career. Yeah. Um, he was known for a couple things. He uh, created the character Space Ranger for Mystery in Space in D.C., one of their uh, science fiction heroes from the 50s. Okay. Uh, he was the penciler and challenge. Nothing really. He did a lot of stuff, but nothing really groundbreaking. Like, he was known for penciling Challengers, Challengers of the Unknown after Jack Kirby left it in 59. He had a long vigilante run in the 50s in action comics. Yeah. So he did a bunch of, you know, he just did a bunch of stuff. He was just a, he was just an artist there, you know, nothing, didn't really create anything except for that one story. I mean, the one right. character. Lots of Tomahawk. I'm just going down the list here, seeing what else he has. He actually apparently was one of the artists, though, for the Avengers Defenders War. Oh, okay. And also he did a bunch of uh, Daredevil from 74 to 77. You know, he had a run for a couple of years where his jobs were the Batman story and Detective Comics and the Superboy story. Oh, wow. How's that for your two main jobs to draw every day? Yeah. Batman and Superboy every month. So his stuff's probably been, re um, been reprinted. Oh, wait, he actually did create some more things. Him and, art, he, him and art writer Arnold Drake created Beast Boy for Doom Patrol. <gasps> really? Yeah. I didn't see their credits in the Doom Patrol. Oh, there it is. And, oh, wow, he I was completely wrong about not creating many things by Space Ranger, because that's what the article I read kind of highlighted with. Him and writer Denny O'Neill co-created Talia for Batman. Interesting. Okay, yeah, his Batman run and Superboy run, they both start at uh, summer of 1968. So he picks up both of those books at the same time whenever he leaves Tomahawk and Challengers of the Unknown behind. And he does Detective Comics and Superboy for a few years. Yeah. Before branching out to other stuff. And actually, Warlock 6 is the first work he has done for Marvel. Yeah, around that. He also did, apparently was one of the first writers to, artists to do the uh, the Beast. Oh, no, not the first one. Sorry, that was one of his first things for Marvel was the Beast. So he drew the Beast when the Beast had his own solo run, when he first became Blue and Furry. Did oh, the Avengers and, and, uh, for, like, about two years. I don't see that. Yep, it says Amazing Adventures number 16. Huh. Okay, that's not on Mike's list for whatever reason. But that's okay. Mike's and, not Mike, Mike's good, but he's not always perfect. Yeah. Um, then he did 6 to 8 of Warlock, uh, Avengers 113 to 126. Yeah, I was looking at the Avengers. His first book, there was an awesome title, Your Young Men Shall Slay Visions. How's that for a take on a Bible quote? I love that name. And I, I might have read that one recently. I've read that one. I've read all the Avengers through most of the 70s. And also, apparently, he did a couple years of Daredevil, including... And it says, new adversaries for the title character introduced during his tenure include the Silver Samurai in issue 9, 111 and Bullseye in 131. He so, was drawing when Bullseye came out. So does that mean he co-created Bullseye? I don't know if artists always get co-creator credit, just because they drew the first issue. That isn't always the case. It could be. That's not always the case. He did an issue of Rampaging Hulk, which was the black and white, the magazine child-focused Hulk magazine. Yes, which I I had somewhere, because I had the essential of that. Oh, and he was on a random issue of uh, X-Men. Yes, 106. Um, it was one done after, it was actually published after he died. It was a fill-in fill story that wasn't by Claremont. 
Yes. It, it was by Claremont. No, 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 no. Okay, so I, I, I remember this. You're in the middle of stuff with the big opening saga from Claremont called, that I call Xavier's Dream. Oh, which that's is the big right. long saga that introduces the Phoenix and they go out to fight the Shi'ar and everything else. This is the issue. Yeah, this is 106. 107 is like the last M, the big MCON crystal issue. Right. So 106, you left 105 on a cliffhanger and basically Claremont gives a framing sequence to um, Xavier remembering some stuff while he's been knocked out by a bad guy. So you basically are not resolving your cliffhanger for another two months but they had this Bob Brown issue of the early days of the X-Men training that they had done just as a, you know, whenever, and they need to get it published, so they publish it now. Yeah, it said he died uh, in Manhattan. He was living in Manhattan. He died in 1977 from leukemia. Wow. He, he had just been signed on as the new artist of Wonder Woman, but number 231 was only the only issue he did. He also did an issue of Supergirl right at the same time. I wonder if he was going to do both. Oh, Teen Titans, too. There was a Teen Titans and a Batgirl and a Supergirl and a Wonder Woman that all came out within a handful of months. Wow. So it looks like he had made the switch from Marvel back to DC and was going to start a whole bunch of new stuff over there, and then life caught up with him. Now, did Warlock start in Marvel Premiere or Marvel Preview? Marvel Premiere. Okay, because he has a, uh, one, some of the last stuff he got published was also from Marvel Premiere. Um, uh, there's a story about a guy called Torpedo, and uh, that was just issue 39, and oh, issue I know 40 Torpedo. is another Torpedo. I know Torpedo is. They actually uh, revamped that character. It was a new version of the character called Turbo in the New Warriors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're ma- yeah. I've just been reading some New Warriors for the uh, Clone Saga, and that's, the, that's that mask. I couldn't remember if, Turpe- if Turbo was still a member of the team when you were reading it, because at that point I had stopped reading the book. At that point it's a girl, I think. Yes. There was actually, when they first introduced him in New Warriors, there were two of them. They kind of like shared the costume. And I think the guy, it was a guy and a girl, and I think the guy got killed. There were some mentions of them both being in there, yeah. I didn't know all the details because I'm not a New Warriors reader, but I was reading it for the Clone Saga stuff. Yeah, because I remember seeing you were reading that. That's right. It was like Mickey something was her name. Yeah. Okay, so Bob Brown, that's uh, that's so quite the career for him. He had a From lot 1949 was his first published work with uh, Boy Commandos, Love Romances, and that sort of thing. Almost immediately got picked up on Vigilante for Action Comics and a whole range of stuff until 1977. That's 30 years of, of, of drawing. Yeah. And whether he co- you want to say he co-created or at least was the first person to draw it, Beast Boy, Silver Samurai, Bullseye. Bullseye is a big one. That's not really anything to, you know, go, eh, didn't really do much. Yeah. So Neat. good for him. So we are going to talk tonight about his first work for Marvel, though, which is Warlock number six. Yep. So he is the artist in this issue, and uh, we have a bit of a jiggling around of a creator here again, because Mike Friedrich is back, but just as scripter. Does that mean that Bob Brown plotted the issue, you think? No, because it even says, story and plot by Ron Goulart from from an idea by Roy Thomas. Oh, I bet you Roy Thomas is coming back in because... They've got to start working towards the denouement of this series. Yeah, because at this point, they've got to know that it's being canceled with issue eight. So I'm sure Roy's like, here, why don't you wrap this, this, and this up? And Ron basically get, typed up a plot and gave it to Bob. And then they went, Mike, you know Warlock? Script this sucker. So this might be one of those too many cooks, too many cooks. 
which could probably go. Yeah, that might be a reason why you weren't a big fan of the you know the brute. I don't think too many cooks like it's actually a bad story because of it, but there are definitely a lot of hands in this pot. Yeah, and I just wanted to sing the song. From, you saw life. that video, right? Which video? The Too Many Cooks video? I don't think so. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, um, after this episode, I'll be showing Al Sedano the Too Many Cooks video. And if you haven't seen it, do a YouTube search. It's insane. Well, since we're talking about this, I'll throw a link up. It'll be okay. in the show notes. The show notes! Just think um, a 90s sitcom opening credit sequence. Ooh. That loses its mind. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyways, uh, speaking of losing our minds, though, we have some Adam Warlock. Yes. And we okay, see- now we, we've just extolled the virtues of Bob Brown. And really, through so much of this book, the art looks amazing. Yeah, but, but there are times when all of a sudden the art looks good, and then all of a sudden there's like a panel or two where I'm like, what the hell? And really, the opening splash page, Warlock pose is one of those yes that's one of the first things i noticed was like that proportion and everything just looks off from from the waist to the knees it looks like his rear and then there's a definite that's a definite kneecap on the front of that leg but i it's almost like someone turned the he-man figure around oh yeah i didn't think about that that's what it looks like actually the one thing i'm thinking of is too is wow his feet are hidden (laughs) it's like a life felt thing you know, yeah, I was going to make a Liefeld reference earlier. We were talking about the muscle bulging. So because, like, I don't want to slide foot, off on... The one foot kind of goes down into, like, off the panel, and the other one's covered up by the uh, caption box and has a bunch of smoke in front of it, too. But I will say this. If you're going to get made fun of because of your inability to draw feet, you're in good company with Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. Yeah. But, yeah, that's not his best work, I think, is this splash page. No. It's a nice composition. With uh, the choppers shooting missiles at him and everything. It's just the warlock figure is front and center and takes up the whole thing and is just off. <laughs> and I find it funny that apparently the warlocks are yelling from, ch- you know, I'm sorry, the army guys are yelling at him from the choppers with the uh, megaphones. And yet warlocks just yelling back at them from the ground as they're blasting him. And apparently they can hear his response. <laughs> or they can't and Warlock's just bellowing or they can't or we can just go story wise and say they can't they just don't care their orders are just right. kill this guy but it is a nice dramatic moment to open on because we then immediately go back and flash back to what's been going on we get a recap of the death birds yes and the immediate aftermath of that which actually takes several pages to get through yeah because we get the whole thing of him fighting the death birds meeting the Counter-Earth Doctor Doom and then President Carpenter being a dick to him and basically saying, nope, it's all Warlock's fault. And Although, I do I'm, love the horror of that top panel with the Deathbirds yeah, and, uh, and the people running from the devastation. And I have to say, I do like when they can actually, when artists can draw ugly people. You know, yes. when not everybody in the world is like a model. Yeah. It's not good. Yes. I mean, that one guy in the, the, the one guy in the forefront of that top panel on the second page... Mm-hmm. So I not, see him. Not the most attractive looking of people, but, you know, normal. I may have said this before, but that's one of my favorite aspects to the Joe Simon, uh, Jack Kirby issues of Captain America comics. Because, damn, does he do some really ugly people in that, in that year of comics there. I mean, like, skillfully drawn yeah. ugly people. Yeah, like, I like how that one looks, that, that, that panel, especially in that guy. 
You know, it's not just the fact, oh, he made him look ugly. It's well done, I thought. Yeah, it is good. And you got the floods and the earthquakes and the uh, fissures opening up and the death birds flying out of the ground. And we uh, get reminded that Warlock has, you know, been beaten. Well, he beat them, but they exploded on him. Yes. With no little aid from Counter-Earth's benevolent Dr. Doom. (laughs) And then Rex Carpenter, you know, you turn the page and he says, I have therefore directed the military to arrest Warlock and investigate his part in the Mojave disaster. Misspelled Mojave, but that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Then to ascertain if his alien jewel is truly hypnotic. It's interesting that Rex Carpenter is drawing attention to the soul gem. Hmm. And this is the first time we've even heard it suggested that his soul gem is hypnotic. Yeah, or anything about it. He didn't say it. It was never mentioned before. That's right. It always looks like he's just kind of trying to throw anything he can to get people to go, yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's his part, you know, like, we want to investigate his part of this disaster, and also he has an alien jewel, and it might be hypnotic. Right. You know, it's like, whatever I can throw at him. And although we read a lot of subtext into the last issue, it wasn't until the very end of that issue, whenever he basically does what we're seeing here, this is the this is the first time that he's really gone blatantly sinister. And, of course, Roy, I, I mentioned that because Roy Thomas's hand is back in the pot, and so the way this is all going to play out is getting a, a hand on the tiller. Oh, yeah. Because, like I said, we have, we're getting up near the end of the story, the, the series. we got to wrap it up. You know, they only have uh, two more issues to wrap up the next five issues. <laughs> Which is why it doesn't get done in two more issues. Exactly. But this is back in the day when you could do that, when you could just have a story, uh, oh, that comic was canceled, okay, well, let's do that over here. Which I find cool. I like that. Yeah. The Bronze Age is just cool of cool and weird stuff like that. Nowadays, a comic gets canceled with five plot lines left open, and sure, they'll wrap up the main plot of the current arc before they get the boot, but... But that other stuff kind of just gets dropped. Yeah, sadly. Um, or they have to wrap it up quickly. Right, which is often unsatisfactory. Yeah. Or you can be like the um, pre-Final Crisis Legion of Superheroes run and just not wrap up anything. Oh, yeah. The the, the series that started with Mark Wade and ended with whomever, but it got canceled because they were bringing back the the pre-Crisis Legion. Yeah. And they just brought him back already as the series is coming on going on. Right. So the series just puts a puts, it puts a final issue out there that does not resolve anything. Yeah, it just kind of ended. Yeah. Anyways. Um okay, so, so more recap of Doctor Doom and then we're back to Warlock being attacked by helicopters. Yeah. Yeah, the army guys all show up right, like there's a lot. I mean, they sent like a whole platoon after him. I mean, they are not messing around. And it's weird that Doctor Doom I didn't say it's weird. It's interesting that whenever they call Adam Warlock a gold-skinned freak, Dr. Doom says, then you're a blatant racist, too, huh? Yeah. I mean, yes, his skin color is different, and yes, this guy is is, is mocking that. But it's weird, because Adam Warlock is not a race. (laughs) No. I mean, I guess but I can see what Doom's going with. out for their skin color is definitely something in vogue for the early 70s. But yeah, because, I mean, it's different because it's not like, especially in this world where Adam Warlock's the only thing like him, you know, only superhuman, really, that are, you know, mm-hmm. up until now. 
so it's not like, you know, there's been a bunch of people weird skin colors or things running around. You know, they don't have the traditional skin colors like we have, so calling him a gold skin freak really wouldn't be a racist. It's like he is a freak. No one else right. in the world has gold skin. It's not yeah, like saying you're, it's not like saying, oh, you're black, you're a freak because your skin's black. Well, there's a crap load of black people, you know, on counter earth as well as on regular earth. But counter earth has one gold skin person. This is true. If, you know, like Superman calling him that flying freak because he's the only person in the world who can fly. Yeah. But again, this issue goes, you know, kind of jumps forward, which happened last issue with the whole warlock getting followers. Because, I mean, up until recently, really, the only followers he had were the four kids. Yeah, it was isolation. Now he's now he's known. And he got all this fame while he was sleeping and then through this whole Deathbird attack thing. It's weird. I keep starting that saying by it's weird. I, I need to stop saying that because it's not weird. I'm just one of the things I noticed is that whenever Adam Warlock is being threatened with arrest from the helicopters, he says, I'll not submit until precise charges are made and further proved to my satisfaction, which is a neat point because you cannot be arrested without actual charges. Yeah. You can be arrested on suspicion of charges or suspicion of crimes, but they do have to, they do have to have a reason. Charges. From my extensive legal knowledge of watching different shows that involve police officers, right? they have to charge you within 24 hours. Like, I believe they can pick you up and hold you for, like, a 24 hours, but then they have to let you go unless they charge you. And, you know, that's from watching TV cop shows, so it must be true. And if they arrest you with absolutely no grounds, that can get in trouble as well. Yes. Which I think is why they usually try and hold you. I guess that's why that rule is there. It gives them a chance to actually try and get their li- get you off the street if they're really, really certain it's you, but make sure that they actually have enough evidence to make charges. Uh, after the copters chase Adam Warlock off, Dr. Doom calls the President of the United States directly. Yes. But actually, I just want to go real quick beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Is this the first time Warlock has admitted to, I mean, not admitted, but announced to the people of Counter-Earth that he is not from their planet? Because, I mean, he's just this guy's all of a sudden shown up. I mean, anyone who's watched any news things or seen him, they're just, all of a sudden, he's just there. But this is the first time he says, my home is not of this Earth. Um, he may have told the kids. But, I mean, to the general populace, because this is the first time it might have been announced to the world at yeah, large, depending he, on how many cameras are on him. interact with the general populace hardly at all. Because yeah. it, it was just last issue, right, that he comes out of the cocoon at the beginning of the issue? Yes. His, his public appearance and public persona is still very fresh and new. And so the, it, it's kind of like whenever they find out that Superman's an alien. Yeah. It's kind of... Kind of not something you expect. But they don't really play that aspect up very much. No, but I just I just noticed that. I was just actually something I just thought of when I was walking out. I'm like, oh, it's the first time he actually announced that to people. Yeah. And it's s- one of those things that they had New 52 Warlock today. They would they would make a board, bigger deal out of that. Oh, yeah. And going with uh, the funky art, the panel... Oh, hold on. Before sure. you say funky art, just clarifying, I'm not slagging off the New 52. I'm just talking about differences in storytelling conventions between the 70s <laughs> and the 2010s. Have to say that <laughs> before you get attacked for saying something, you know, that you might have. Or before people said. assume that I'm saying something that agrees with them when I'm not. I mean, as opposed to actually listening to the words you said. Right, right, right. But speaking of funky, when we talk about the funky art, this third panel on that page where uh, Doom's, you said Doom's calling the president. Look at his face there again. Warlock. Yeah, I'm kind of a fan of that face. He's upturned. It's a little weird, weird angle, but it's, that's. 
that's a more human face than what we saw on the other stuff. It's just a little weird to me looking. It's very glam looking, actually. <laughs> Which I guess fits for like mid seventies, but it looks like you know Ziggy Stardust as Adam Warlock. His hair is all bouffant. Yeah, it's, he's especially like, and especially the hair is very much there, like very he has fair hair. Yeah, yeah. So I just, and, but yeah, like you said, so Doom calls the president, which of course doesn't work. Right, and Rex Carpenter again is proving very diabolical, but. It is all the sort of machinations that we could imagine politicians doing. He even it's thinks not, there. He could disrupt my entire administration. Right. That was an interesting little inner monologue because it's intriguingly non-innuendo-y. It makes I mean, me wonder how much of the plan that Mike Friedrich was actually invo- no, knew about. Those are the kinds of things that he could say because he does have administration plans, but it also seems like, it seems more mundane. Yeah. Um, just, 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 just to say for the listeners, there's a whole lot more going on with Rex Carpenter meets the eye, and we are doing our utmost not to say exactly what that is for those who don't know. But um, this guy is uh, this guy is a transformer. There's more to meets the eye with him. He's got secrets. His secrets have secrets wrapped up in a bowl of eye patch. That's a <laughs> Nick Fury. Nick Fury. Okay. Um, and now we yeah. get Reed Richards. I am mildly curious how Von Doom got a direct hotline privilege to the president. Yeah, even for like a premier scientist. He's a dude in a metal mask. He's 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 a he's a benevolent shredder. <laughs> it's really weird looking at that mask without the hood on it. Yes, but I love that they're leaving the hood off. It gives him such a different look. It's it's unquestionably Doctor Doom and looks completely different to Doctor Doom. Yeah, because there's no green hood, no, you know, Battle armor. It's just him in, you know, a lab coat. With a and this Doctor Doom does not go on monologuing. Yeah. And it wears a tie. <laughs> does that very Doctor Doom even know how to tie a tie? Would he get Doombots to tie his tie for him if he had to wear one? Could they even tie the tie with those metal fingers? I mean, how much dexterity can you have, really? I had to wear a tie for a recently hoity toity event I went to, and I pulled out a new tie knot from the internet. And uh, it was very swank. I posted pictures. Yes, I did see that. I was, I, I was impressed. I got I got compliments on the tie. Ooh, very nice. Kind of behaving like a president. It's 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 jerk president, but it is political maneuvering stuff. And then we get Reed Richards, like you said, and he has uh, funky arms, so to speak. It's like purple gorilla. Yeah, those are some arms. And shoulders, too. I mean, you could see his head's almost like hunchbacked. And it reminds me, we mentioned it earlier, it reminds me of the Amazing Adventures run of Hank McCoy, which had ended just a few months prior to this. I like how apparently even those giant arms, he reads and still fit on his regular lab coat. <laughs> Somehow. Well, it's all bunched up. Maybe... um Maybe he put the lab coat on before his arms went crazy. Yeah, I have to assume, but it's weird that like he can just change like that. Apparently, just parts of him change. Yeah, I'm looking to see... I'm just flipping ahead through his origin story. He goes back and forth from one to the other. And, okay, we're about to get a huge old flashback. The, the end continuity event that happens right after this panel is him going to full-on brute mode. So he's probably mid-transformation right now. 
the arms are going, but the rest of him is about to follow in two seconds. Yeah. Oh, and actually, even shows he wears shirt sleeve lab coats. Oh, does he? Yeah. His lab coat ends above the uh, elbow. I wasn't sure. Maybe they were bunched up like that. It doesn't look like it. Like Spirit Brothers, Von Doom and Reed Richards are subtly. Oh, another misspelled word. They are subtlety entwined in their lives. Who is the letterer? <laughs> Charlotte we need, Jetter. We need an adverb, subtly, not subtlety. Yes. Well, Javi has a J in it, right? I'm right in that part. Right. right. Well, Javi has a J in it. Okay. Whew. Yeah, I did think, I did realize that one was misspelled. I didn't catch the other one, but I did catch that one as being misspelled. They spelled Mohave. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Mohave Desert. Mohave Desert. It's a southern gentleman way of spit saying. Right. Right up there south of Yosemite. <laughs> but yeah, so we have the origin of Doom and uh, Reed Richards right here. Which is really cool. I really like seeing how that all played out a little bit differently. Well, because it's, yeah, it's like reading a what if. And we can see the turning point, or at least the difference, because Reed Richards gives support of another kind. Now... That one panel where Doom's wrapped in bandages and Reed Richards is behind him, I'm not going to say it looks a little brokebacky. <laughs> but it but does. now we know just what kind of support it took to keep Bond Doom from going evil. So that's what it was needed. Yes. Although they really don't show what the main difference was, because it happened beforehand. Before They don't show it because it said they were um, roommates. And the original story was that he wanted to be roommates of Doom, and Doom was just a dick. And he's like, Doom's not roommates of anybody. Oh, that's right. And that's why he was roommates of Ben Grimm. Okay, so this Doom is just generally a nicer person. Yeah. So they get to be roommates, and then even though they're rivals and competing, they're, they're, they're supporting each other in their competition. And after the accident, Reed then has a reason to be there for Doom and to give him his Brokeback support. And so Von Doom has to put on the mask, but maintains a nice guy. But apparently Reed still met Ben Grimm because they still did the uh, rocket flight, and they actually put it in the year of 1961. I wonder why they did the Ides of March for the time frame. Is that the month that maybe FF1 came out? FF1 is cover dated November, which means it hit at the end of, se- the, uh, end of summer, early fall. Oh, then definitely wasn't November, the March... No, I don't know why. It's just an interesting choice. But here, Von Doom is fully aware of their trip and is telling them not to do it. It seems much more sneaky and criminal. I mean, I know when you read FF1, they are totally being sneaky criminals. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of glossed over, I think, (laughs) in later reminiscences of it. Yeah, that they they stole the first rocket, basically, to space. Right. But here, the whole sneaky criminal vibe of it all is definitely played up. And um, it's weird to think of somebody just, like, going onto a missile installation and hijacking the rocket and taking it up into space without 55 people helping them do it. Although, I'm wondering why Doom wasn't on the sh- ship with him. They were such good buddies. Um, he and Reed have been debating on the whole cosmic rays thing. Reed Richards thinks that they should do it because they've got to get America into space before the Russians do. Oh, it's, it's and true. It's pretty much right there Von, on the stage anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Von Doom's like, no, 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 it's way too risky. It's too dangerous. And that's why he got Ben, Sue, and Johnny to go with him because they don't know anything. 
Yeah. If my best friend in college won't go, I might as well get the, the, the girl I'm in love with, her kid brother, and this football jockey. <laughs> well, test pilot. Yeah. Well, because even originally, even Ben Grimm had an idea about cosmic rays. Yeah. But, and they just called him a coward. Yeah. They, um, they Sorry, martyred with Vitam into going on it. And Nobody John- calls me Chicken Richards. Nobody! And Johnny just, you know, just goes wherever because he's not that bright at all. Well, not yet. He turns into fire later. Then he becomes a lot brighter. <laughs> but um, boom. But the IQ still don't go up. Now, now. So, um, man beasts' influence on this Earth is felt around this time because the rays strike the ship, but they do not create four superheroes. No. They do, however, have a delayed effect on Reed and a basically deadly effect on Sue. Yeah, she's in a coma. And apparently still is. Mm-hmm. And we have no clue what happened to Ben and Johnny afterwards. As far as we know, according to the narration, nothing happened to them. They were just fine. Although, theoretically, then, I guess you could say probably if this Reed got killed, he could pro- you know, they could probably bring the brute back with one of the two of them. Oh, yeah, because if it could take a year to manifest in Reed, it could take two to manifest in Ben or Johnny. And that could be where they are, hiding out. Interesting. And at <laughs> first I thought this was telling us that Man-Beast messed up, because Man-Beast was trying to make a world with no superheroes. Um, but then the next page, uh, he turns into the brute, and a page after, there's obviously somebody controlling things. So even if it's not the man beast, there's somebody planning stuff here. Yeah, because they even said, I had a hidden hand, you're becoming the brute. Right. It's also a little hulkish here, because they even it, even originally it, originally it says the uh, as the moon rose, it changed. He oh, changed was it the moon rising? I'm, I'm not sure if it was caused by it, but it's specified, it's mentioned there. As the, yeah, moon as the moon rose, rose to fullness on the anniversary of his flight, he changed. That is Hulkish, because he was, uh, uh, was it full moon or just nighttime? I think it was just nighttime originally. Yeah. I should know. I podcasted those issues, but it's been a while. Well, yeah. And they changed it five times in the next five issues. <laughs> Some people call it not knowing what they're doing. I call it character development. <laughs> <laughs> I only really remember that, too, just because of reading the Peter David run, because he used the Grey Hulk so much, and for a lot of that, it was the whole nighttime-daytime thing. Oh, I've, I've, I've read none of that. Can oh, you believe that? It is very good. I have heard so many good things. I need to I need to just, and maybe after I've finished off a couple other reading projects, just break into the whole uh, Peter David Incredible Hulk X-Factor era and just read through all that. It's one of my favorites. Maybe around that time, um, somebody will bring back Pad Smash. Mm, that'd be nice. Although somebody's currently doing a Daredevil podcast that is kicking all kinds of ass. Yes. Yes, I'm enjoying that, although I'm almost, I'm getting caught up on that one. That one, that little, that little gap he had in that one helped me. I got a little more caught up during that gap. <laughs> I think I'm up to like 30-something now, so... So Reed Richards, on the full moon, a year after his trip, kind of Frodo Baggins-ish also, because he had issues on anniversaries, uh, he becomes this it's gray... Hulk. Huh? Actually, just real quick, it's more than a year. It's ten years. Is it ten years later? It says it was perhaps it was the subsequent strain of a decade's toll. 
It is a decade's toil. Wow. Because, yeah, that's why they said 61, because it's now, what, 73 here? So, yeah. So it looks like okay. he's been turning into the brute. Periodically. For a, for a while. Because it says now he's been practicing with turning back and forth. Oh. Okay, and now he can do it by by force of will. It's the brute is very much the Hulk and or the thing, but not either one. Yeah. But the the amazing thing is that we get a, a mysterious shadowy figure. I designed the secret passage that I'm coming out of and had a hidden hand in your becoming the brute. Now I have a task for you. And at first, Reed Richards, the brute, once had nothing to do with him, but Mysterious Shadowy Man says, excellent, my hypnotized lackey. Yeah, I so like how fast he, he gets hypnotized. Never. Uh, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> Hypnotism is just one of those little buttons they can push in comics. It doesn't actually take any, any effort. But it's different, but I do like the design of the brute. I mean, it's really, it is very brutish looking. I mean, more than the Hulk, even. The face is very, you know, the, the that flattened nose. It's kind of like the hunched over head, like the bald, hunched bald head. Yeah. And even like the nails, like on that panel where he's being hypnotized, those nails are all smashed. Like, they're cracked and, you know, messed right. up. Like he's had them too long and he's been, you know, using his fingers with too long nails and messing your nails up. Yeah. And a lot of times on these panels, the brute also looks like he's a bit of an overbite, which I kind of like. Now, um... A certain someone, shadowy figure, has hypnotic powers over the brute. And Rex Carpenter has now brought Adam Warlock under suspicion of having hypnotic powers over people. Hmm. Do you think that could be connected? Well, I know that it's connected on some level. <laughs> I'm not sure how... It, I mean, it's the kind of thing that it could be, you know... One of the possible ways they could do this is to turn Adam Warlock into the scapegoat for hypnotizing and controlling the brute. I don't think that's what happens, but like we said before, I haven't read past what we're covering in a, in a couple of years. So yeah. I don't remember exactly how it happens. But, um, but yeah, that's one of the things that could happen. I just, I had totally forgotten that Rex Carpenter was blaming Warlock for hypnotizing people, and here we have somebody hypnotizing the brute. And actually, since I read this a while ago, before we started the run, I read the whole thing, but I don't recall fully what happens with the hypnosis thing. So I don't well, know if it's picked up, get, or, if it gets, or if it's one of those things like in the Bronze Age where like they'll get ideas, but they'll kind of forget about them, or change their minds yeah. and drop it. So I don't know yet, because I have to reread 7 and 8. And then Estrella comes back on the scene out of nowhere. And she's like this all-knowing person now. The the mystery behind her is becoming a little bit more plain because we, we get some inner monologue from her and she seems reluctant to be betraying Warlock and she feels bad that he is so trusting of her whenever she's having to do this. Which is not how I expected this to play out when you reminded me who she was. Yeah. And this is another example like of the funky art. I mean, that first panel of her, when we first see her, looks great. Mm -hmm. But then that third panel, that close-up of her face? Aside from the large eyes, I think it looks really good. Maybe that's just it. It's just the, the large, so dilated eyes are just so freaky looking. Well, those pupils should be black. 
yeah. and the irises are a normal size if the pupils were just black. But yeah, the overall effect is that she has these huge orbs with huge, huge greenness in them. It's weird. It kind of looks like creepy, you know, giant-eyed dolls. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she said that there's some people who want to meet up because uh, in secret because they are uh, they don't agree with the president. Like, and she even name drops Colonel Roberts, Eddie and Ellie's father. Ooh. And she puts Warlock in a monkey suit. Yes. <laughs> I like that look of him, though, with the suit. I mean, even though it's, t- it's tiny Warlock in that suit and sunglasses. Right. <laughs> to cover up his, you know, amazing uh, eyeliner. His eyeliner of power. But a- and then we get the amazing Spider-Man. We do? The the scene from The Amazing Spider-Man when the lizard is knocking cars. Oh, yes, that's right, on the bridge. the bridge. Yes. Yes. I forgot about it, that. It's a pretty amazing scene. Estrella makes herself scarce real soon, and Warlock tears the suit off. So is the whole thing a ruse just to get him here? Yeah, well, she even says, no, well, she thinks, the plan was I split when the brute attacked. So the plan was for her to bring Warlock there to where the brute is. Okay, so the whole story about the meeting and about important people wanting to meet him was all dumb. So yeah. putting him in the brown suit was even just dumb. Well, yeah, well, no, well, not dumb. It was part of the plot because she said she thinks he's so trusting he scares me. What would he think if I, he knew everything I told him was a lie, a setup? Okay. So the suit is for Warlock's benefit to play along with the story. It's like, hey, people, there's some people who don't agree with the president, including Colonel Roberts. You know, we have important people. I'm going to take you to them, but we got to disguise you so you don't get arrested on the way. Here, wear this suit. Interesting. It's pretty elaborate ruse and expensive because suits aren't cheap. Yeah, plus, how does that suit fit over his costume? I mean, those shoulder things go up. Right, they do. Well, it's kind of like Batman's ears whenever he's wearing a disguise. Oh, when he wears a mask of a face and yet his ears are, you know, he has a Batman mask on underneath. Right. You think someone noticed, hey, Matches Malone has these weird bumps on his head. It's kind of like whenever Robin disguises himself as a girl, they pull in an actress to play the girl he's disguised as. <laughs> and then, like, the actress grabs the front of her hair, cut to Batman, cut back, and Dick Grayson's pulling off a wig. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. I'm guessing you're talking about the TV show, then, the Adam West yeah. work show? Really? Oh, wow. It has been so long since I've seen any episodes of that. i got to see if I can um, find that online. I was watching a heavily edited version um, from a me TV, maybe. Um, but yeah, they, they, except for the very first time it happens, they cut lots of cool things out, like the turbines to speed dialogue, which oh. I'm pretty sure happened a lot of times, but it's only in the very first episode. Atom battery's power. Turbines to speed. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's, there's one, there's one episode where, where Robin disguised himself as a girl and they bring a hot little 60s actress to be Robin's as a girl. And, uh, which also reminds me of, <laughs> did you hear Keenan just now? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he walked past me. He went and got ready for bed and came back across the room and quietly closed the door to the bedroom and then, like, roars back to the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, love his inter- I love his little interludes on your show. Yes, for more occasional random Keenan goodness, check out Avengers Inspirations. Which you'll hear more about in the promo on this episode. Yes. Now you have to play it. Yes, now I do. (laughs) 
Okay, so big attack sequence. Um, I, as usual, don't have a whole lot about the action. No, but I like the. I mean, I like the artwork here. Like that first panel oh, of the artwork smashing beautiful. the cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just a car being flown. There, like he has drawn all these individual pieces coming apart. Right. You know, there's the trunk smack. You know, he even has like the trunk being knocked open from the impact with the spare tire like knocking around. There's a spare tire in the trunk, and the cover of the spare tire is peeled back. There, you can see a fo- the the cloth folding back on itself. Yeah. There, there's some nice attention yeah. to detail. Yeah. So it is. I mean, it's it's a fight sequence. So you know, there's not really much to say story wise. It's just fight, fight, fight. But the artwork here is great. And then the brute. I mean, and this also makes me think Hulk-like, because, I mean, the Brute's level, he smashes the bridge, and I think this is, what, the Golden Gate Bridge? Yes. Because I think they said that the meeting is in San Francisco, yeah. So she's taking him to, like, south yeah, of San Francisco. Francisco. So they're crossing the Golden Gate Bridge. He smashes that in half, and there are cars falling off the bridge. And that, that shot of that bridge, I mean, it's a little bit warbly because the bridge is, like, curving and stuff, but it still looks really, really cool. Bridges are supposed to curve. But then Adam well, uses the soul gen to melt the bridge back together. Yes. Um, now he does say that he is pulling the. No. What's it say? I must look to, look my, soul. to my soul and use its energy to reform the span's molecules back to their original state. So he's pulling out the energy from himself. But then he uses the soul gem to empower and strengthen his own body to last underwater. So it's like a back-and-forth thing between his soul empowering the gem and the gem empowering him. Yeah, which I guess does kind of go a bit with, I guess, what uh, Starlin does later on of making a little bit uh, vampiric. Or like a... Okay. Although, no, actually, not vampiric. It makes them more like a, a symbiotic relationship they're showing here. Yeah. Yeah, here it is, because he can go both ways. But if you just take the one side of it, then it is parasitic and vampiric rather than symbiotic. Yeah. And again, like we established before, this version of Warlock needs to breathe. So this is not a Warlock that can actually fly out into space if he wants to leave. He's kind of stuck. I didn't think about that last time, but not only can he not breathe in space, he's stuck on this counter-Earth. Because he can't fly off the planet. Yeah, because he can't breathe. He needs to breathe. Yeah, he's, he's, he's living here. He's going to need another uh, cocoon resurrection before that happens. Another one? I was, <laughs> I was impressed and surprised by Warlock, uh, by the reference to FF 66 and 67. Oh, when he recognizes that when the brute turns back. Yeah, when he uses yes. the soul gen again to change the brute back to its human form. Right. So he recognizes Reed Richards. And, we, and you know. Adam Warlock was essentially given a completely new, fresh start with Marvel premiere number one. I just hadn't really expected any more references to him, and yet here we are. Yeah, plus he was so new and fresh as him, he barely even understood anything. If he recognized Alicia, I would get that, but it's not like he had any interaction, really, with the Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah, he didn't, did he? No. Only at the very end of the story. Yeah, barely. I think they kind of just like, I don't think they even knew he was there. Beyond from maybe Alicia telling them about later on, from what I remember from that, they really weren't interacting with him. 
They were fighting so scientists. He, maybe he shouldn't have recognized Reed Richards, and they didn't quite remember exactly the details of the story when they were scripting this one. Yeah, because it even says the, the editor note is that Warlock having battled the true Earth Reed as him. It's like, no, they didn't. Interesting. Okay, it's a little bit of, a little bit of uh, missed, uh, mistakes on fact-checking there. But not that important. And then we wrap up the story with Estrella bringing our supporting cast back into the story. Yeah, so Warlock lands at... I guess Estrella had actually given him directions, which is interesting. Now, this is the part that's weird with the plan. So the plan was, tell Warlock there's a, meet- there's a meeting going on of people who don't agree with the president. You know, name drop like Colonel Roberts. And then you're going to bring him to the Golden Gate Bridge and the brute's going to attack him. And you're going to bail. So why does he know about this cabin? I mean, there why is there be, an actual meeting? There shouldn't be a meeting place. Hmm. You know, he should only know that they were going somewhere and then the brute attacks and then, like, he should be looking for Estrella. He's looking to see if there's anything in the dialogue about it. But no, he's just following the distractions from Estrella, her previous distractions to go south of San Francisco. I mean, maybe they were outside the cabin. Maybe it was just a contingency plan in case A, he does beat the brute, or B, he doesn't really trust, if he doesn't trust her as much. Because she did say how shocked she was he trusted, he trusted her. So maybe there was like a contingency plan. It's like, oh yeah, we'll give him, if he really presses you, tell him we're going here. Or maybe he wasn't ever intended to be at this meeting, and they just knew the meeting was happening. True. Because she just says, just because she said it was a lie, we don't know specifically what is a lie. You know, the meeting could be true, and her taking him there could be the lie. Okay, but then we were, okay, because uh, as you said in the synopsis at the beginning, Jason Gray stumbles out all battered and bruised. He says, they got us all, only I escaped and we're in trouble. We gotta go underground. So there was a meeting. Bad guys attacked it. Yeah, I guess there must have, because Doom's there. And Doom had no reason. Doom's there. And Doom wasn't there when Adam went with Estrella. So I guess that must be that must be the part. They must have found out whoever they are that are working with Estrella must have found out about the meeting. And maybe oh maybe that actually fits them. Maybe it wasn't so much that the, the they thought the brute would take out Adam. I mean they hope so, I'm sure. But maybe it was just to delay Adam so they can capture everybody. Why is Von Doom even here? Oh. Estrella told Doom to come to this meeting. Estrella told Doom and Warlock separately to come to this meeting. Oh, yeah. And Warlock was supposed to get attacked on the way there. So it's it's just interesting that they used a real event to tell Warlock about as a lure to lead him to get killed. Yeah. Now, he doesn't get killed, and he goes to the real event, but it's like, why don't just make up a story? There, there's, there's peanut butter and pickle sandwiches available at the, at the, at the park, so you should go. Yeah, you don't have to actually have the peanut butter and pickle sandwiches available. Right. Or even like... But by the way, I tried it recently, and peanut butter and pickle sandwiches was pretty good. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Or even um, if the plan was just to have just to keep Warlock from getting there in time so they can capture everybody, why didn't they then capture Doom? Because they knew he was going to be there, obviously. They told him to go. But that does bring us to the end of the issue. Oh, and real quick, though, before we get to the end, I am really amused by Warlock calling, I mean, sorry, by Doom calling a place someone's pad. 
<laughs> from the mess, I, I guess, guess it's, it's a, a writer's, writer's pad. pad. I'm like, really? Doom knows that terminology. Doom uses Doom using slang is just really weird. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. This Doom lives in the world. He's not living as you know, monarch of Latveria, obviously. Makes you wonder when he took to highfalutin monologue speak. But it's just, it's just funny to hear him say that. It's some writer's pad. I'm like, what? But I did. Did we want to say anything else about it? Um, well, I like. The, I mean, I like. Now we had we had the uh, kids gone for a while, but now they're at least we know where they are now. They're back. Yeah, so we don't know what they were doing during um, his time in the cocoon. They've been brought back together, brought into the story, and I believe seven and eight kind of go together in bringing things to a close. Um, so we, we, we basically set the stage for the finale of the series, which is weird to talk about after only counting the Marvel premieres, we've had eight issues of this thing. And of course you and I know that Adam Warlock goes on to have a, you know, storied career in comics, but from the perspective of 1973, we're, we're wrapping this thing up. Yeah. It's going to be basically, technically you could say it's 13 issues. You know, these eight, the two Marvel premiere, and then the uh, three Hulk issues that wrap it up. Okay, so there are three Hulk issues after this. Yes. Do you know if they come out in pretty quick succession, or are they a little bit down the road? They are a little bit down the road, because going by my schedule for when, you know, doing these when they come out, we got Warlock 7 and 8, which is the same time as, like, Captain Marvel 28 and 29, and then the Hulk issues come out around the same time or after Captain Marvel 33. I remember Captain Marvel... Oh, bi- that's a good six months down the road. Well, Captain Marvel is, I believe, still bi-monthly then. Yeah. Okay. So it comes out almost like a it's like eight, nine months later. Interesting. Okay. Well, should you should you talk about the special letter we have? Yes. Let's talk about the letter. I am reading this. I actually have the original issue in front of me. Yay! And I was looking at the letters, and I'm just reading to see if there's anything good. And that's nice. You know, we have like, it's like one of those half-page letter columns. Because they have a nice big pro, uh, ad there in the bottom path for Monsters Unleashed. Right. Because this is when was, Marvel's uh, doing uh, all the horror. One of the oversized books they were doing at the time. Yeah, because this is when Marvel's starting to do all that horror stuff. The comics code re- restrictions were loosening a bit, and they were able to do all these horror books. But we have a letter. With, Dra- with Dracula Lives being a thing down there. Yeah. Yes. Who is this letter from? This letter is from a Mark DiMatteis. DiMatteis, DiMatteis. I'm assuming, at least I'm hoping that's the way to say it. That's the way I've always said it. Unless you want, unless you want to go really bad and say it's Mark DiMatteis. DiMatteis, DiMatteis. Um, and I, I, don't know, I like DiMatteis because it sounds like Amadeus. Yes. And I am pretty certain this is J.M. DiMatteis, the uh, writer. Oh, yeah, John Mark. Yeah, who is well-known for things like scripting uh, the Just League International, the Keith Giffen Bahaha era, and actually is the current scripter on Just League 3000. He had a uh, Spider-Man run, too, if I recall. Yes, he's the one who did Graven's Last Hunt. Yeah, he's, he's uh, in my mind, he's linked with late 80s, early 90s Spidey. I think he was still scripting Spider-Man for a lot of the Clone Saga, or at least early on. In fact, didn't he do Amazing 500, which was the death, the quote-unquote death of Aunt May? 400, but yes, I believe he did. 
So he has a long and pretty good career in comics, and he has a writer. Uh, uh, he has a letter here, and reading this letter yeah. kind of fits in with a lot of things I've read by him. Okay. Let's How so? See. Okay, uh, I'll read part of it. Friends, I could not read Carl Heinemann's letter in Warlock Three and sit idly by without comment. Mister Heinemann is a bit confused. Of course, the Christian religion has messed up many people's heads, Carl. But first you must realize that the worshippers long ago abandoned the worshipped. Christ wouldn't stand a chance in a church today. He'd be similarly condemned as a me- megalomani- yeah. megalomaniacal. Thank you. Radical freak and bounced out. Of course, good and evil are in two different realms, but each vying for a dominion over the earth. But Christ never said that they were. It was the churches as political entities that turned Jesus' death on the cross, you gotta suffer, baby, and fear of hell and Satan into tools for keeping the flock in line. There's a a lot of stuff that he has written besides his uh straight up mainstream, you know, superhero stuff, like I said, you know, Just League International deals with a lot of uh things like this. He has a couple of vertigo series on Moonshadow, which originally was published by Marvel under Epic, and he also had a vertigo series Seekers into the Mystery, which was very much like very much about these themes brought to the forefront. Well, evidently, there's been quite the religious uh, debate going on in the letters column because they kind of use this letter as uh, putting the pin in that debate. And Demetrius was all of 19 years old when he wrote this. Oh, wow. So young for Demetrius because he's, you know, 60 now. But yeah. he would, but, you know, a college age comics fan, which was definitely the audience they were catering to in the 70s. Yeah. And it makes sense they would have this debate in this letter page, considering what kind of book they're doing here. I mean, you can't expect to do a, you know, superheroes, Jesus Christ allegory story and not have some commentary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that'd be the large bulk of the kind of commentaries you would get, the kind of letters you would get. But they do say they'd rather switch to reactions on Warlock himself and the characters that surround him and the narrative and the artistic milieu in which he exists rather than the metaphor and religious aspects. Yeah. Uh, but I which think I, I can understand their desires, but it kind of like sounds- you said. It's kind of at a point. It's like, well, then what's the point of doing, you know, why are you doing that kind of book then? Right, right. Don't do a religious book if you don't want religious comments. Although, they even say in here, on the other hand, if the ultimate truth of the universe lands in your backyard on a flaming marshmallow people, don't hesitate to pass it on, here. <laughs> Although, I don't know why it would be where the flaming marshmallow thing comes from, but whatever. It's the 70s. Saying weird stuff was new. Yeah, and actually the next letter on this page had an interesting idea that they said, oh, that's a good one, but I don't know if it's ever been touched on since, is that how evolutionary's counterpart, does he exist on counter-Earth? Ooh. You know, the man that would have, that became... The man who became the high evolutionary, right. Yeah, because we've seen here, obviously, this Earth is such a double that, like, everyone who exists on the regular Earth has a double here. I would guess he still is out there, but whatever event set him on that path would be blocked by the Man Beast whenever he blocked all superheroes. Or even the High Evolutionary himself, because why would he want a, you know, a secondary version of himself? Mm-hmm. Or otherwise, you know, we just, have this just guy. Just keep those two gametes from meeting one night. 
or we'd have this guy from, you know, this high, secondary high, counter-earth high evolutionary making his own counter-counter-earth, and then he makes his own counter-counter-counter-earth, <laughs> and we end up with, like, 30 Earths orbiting the sun. 52. 52 Earths. That's where it comes from. All evenly spaced out around the orbital ellipse. That's how it worked. That's how the new 52 came from. Awesome. <laughs> this show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, can I always it then? Okay, okay, here we go. Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, uh-huh. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the anime before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not looking an Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently... Or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe? Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad, don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff! Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you! Besides listening on Stitcher... You can send an email at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com, go to the show's Tumblr page, where I post mostly every day with Warlock Thanos news or images from the issues we've covered at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com, and go like our Facebook page. Just search for Adam Warlock and it should come up. Finally, you can also look for another show that my other co-host Brian and I do, Four Color Fanboys. You can find it on iTunes or fourcolor.podwits.com. So, if you want to read this story too, and you don't have the original copy in front of you like I did, it's been reprinted in a few places. You can find it in Essential Warlock, uh, Volume 1, 
Or if you want to pay a little bit more for a hardcover and color, you can get in the Marvel Masterworks Warlock Volume 1, which is actually also comes in a slightly less expensive trade paperback version. So you got a few ways. Or you can read it digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Although it occurs to me that these probably are not that expensive to track down in single issues. No. No, I got a fairly decent copy. It's a, it's a good reading copy, let's say. You know, there's some damage a bit on the, some of the corners of the cover, but for the most part, it's okay, and I only paid like a few bucks for it. Good, good, good. Anyway, on to his friends and enemies. We're going to see where the people that Adam has made friends with recently are up to now. Well, now being 1973 with Warlock 6. And first we have Fantastic Four, number 134, A Dragon Stalks the Skies, by Jerry Conway and John Buscema. A strange summons brings the FF to Whisper Hill, where they find Agatha Harkness and her mansion missing. Meanwhile, someone has found the whereabouts of Sue and Franklin and has sent Dragon Man to recover them. And incredible... There's a crazy Bronze Age Fantastic Four cover of Dragon Man. Fantastic Four of this era has such a look to the covers. And Incredible Hulk 164 by Steve Englehart and Herb Trimpey. Hulk has escaped from the Russians, but is lost somewhere in the Arctic Circle. His wanderings will bring him out to sea and into contact with a most unusual community. Meanwhile, preparations are made to rescue Thunderbolt Ross. And the guy on the cover, Captain Omen or whoever he is, is like looking at the reader talking to him. Oh, it's one of those covers. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Well, then we have Iron Man 59 with Firebrand on the cover. And uh, the description we have reads, A Madness in Motown. Do-do-do-do-do Motown. Tony and Pepper must travel to Detroit to settle a stockholder's estate. Little do they realize they'll have far more to deal with than stock options. Okay, that's a very silly description for the cover here, but, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. And lastly, we have Thor, number 212. The cover has a weird bug-eyed alien and Thor flying through the sky. looks like Odin bound by some chains. Journey to the Golden Star. Not Journey to the Farthest Star, which was the Star Trek animated episode. Um, That's beyond the Farthest Star. Never mind. Okay. Balder (laughs) has returned but with little hold on his mental faculties and no sign or word of Sif. Though Thor knows not the source of his friend's madness, he turns to Asgard for answers, and what he finds there will leave him, will leave him with few answers. This is Jerry Conway and John Bishema issue. Sif is always missing. Sif is always in trouble. Anytime, which, you know, anytime I read As an awesome or, warrior princess. Yeah. But anytime I'm reading any of these early Thors, it's always Thor trying to find Jane or Thor trying to find Sif. He's always worried about one of them. He, I don't think he cares much about Jane at this point. Well, no, yeah, but I'm saying, but like the issues of Thor I read for the show, when I read the four early on, when when you know he's as him showing up, it starts mm-hmm. off with Thor trying to find where Sif is. And then when I did the two issues of the first High Evolutionary, which was like a few a year or two beforehand, was like what one thirty four, one thirty five. It's all about Thor trying to find out where Jane is. I guess he has to save someone, and the someone might as well be a chick. Yeah. Because we're going to have dudes get in trouble. Well, that's just ridiculous. And whenever dudes get in trouble in Thor's world, they always end up balder. 
wah, wah. And on that note, we might need to end the episode because the jokes are getting pretty stale at this point. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. So, John, where can people find you if they're looking for you? Well, um, Lily and I, I've talked about this before, but Lily and I have actually finally just recorded our Avengers Inspirations episode that covers the film and the first issue of The Avengers. We've been doing our Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch, talking about each installment of the MCU as we go along. And we've, we, uh, coincidentally, a little bit coincidentally, managed to sync up the Avengers film discussion with the Avengers number one. And that is episode 30, which is either up or very soon to be up when this episode drops. As we're recording, 28 just went up today. I'm editing 29. It should be out within a week or two, and then 30 will be a week or two after that. So that is there. And either already or after the episode, at some point, there's a promo being played where you can hear me and my daughter banter back and forth about our show. The Avengers Inspirations Podcast. Check it out, people. All right, John, and that's it for this time. Um, We'll see you back for Warlock number seven. Yes, in in two episodes' time. Yes. First, we've got to find out what's going to happen with Thanos and Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel 27. Yes. Next next episode will be Brian back for Captain Marvel, and then John will be back for more Warlock. So we'll see you guys all then. Bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Oh yeah? Yep. That's Looks like weird. my audio settings what automatically my audio settings always seem to reset to wrong things. Okay. Well I'm happy blaming you. Yeah, I'm used to blaming me too. <laughs> and it shows it's recording. So yay. Hooray. I like that. Oh. I don't know if you saw. I I put it up there. Starlin is going to be doing a new original graphic novel featuring Thanos, Warlock, and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? Yes. Was that announced today? I don't know if it was announced. It was on Marvel's site, though, like two or three days ago. Oh, wow. Uh, which Guardians? Present or future? Uh, present day. Because <clears throat> they talk about how it's a, it's a reunion for much of the Infinity Watch, because it's Warlock, Gamora, Drax... Mm. And it said, yeah. and, Pip, and of course, Pip the Troll is going to be there, even though he's not in the Guardians. He's going to be there. It said, plus, it said, plus new friends, you know, 
Groot, Star-Lord, and Rocket Raccoon. Well, that's not a money grab. I mean, I don't like to be cynical about those things because it's a, it's a business. So you do things that make money. But that was definitely somebody saying, ooh, let's do a graphic novel that has all of the coolest Avengers characters in it. Yeah. Or MCU characters, not Avengers characters. The entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, like me and Brian were talking about when we did like our 20-part series on the, the last Thanos graphic novel, we're sure that's part of the reason why they put that out there. Hey, let's put out something with Thanos. Yeah. I don't fault him. I can make jokes about it, but I'm not faulting him for it. No, my whole thing about these things is that's fine to do the money <laughs> to those things as long as they're done well. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't want to buy the ones that are like, you know, you open it up and you're like, wow, this is crap. 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 You know, crap, there's, crap. there's no story and the art's bad. You know, the art makes, you know, the art's bad. Like, what's the point? Then it's right. just a, completely just a money grab. At least if they're like, well, let's do, you know, another Spider-Man thing, but, you know, do it well and make it enjoyable. I mean, you can say Spider-Verse was a big money grab thing. Let's try and make every version of Spider-Man people have ever liked and put it all in their one thing together. But it was good. It was good. How was how was it? Oh, I loved it a lot. My one of my favorite bits was some of like the side actually because usually I don't care for those little, when they do those little side mini series like you know we'll do an little anthology series featuring like four characters that have nothing really to do with the main story. Right. And I usually don't care for those, but they did. The ones they did were great. Like they did one where Morlin was uh, those. You know, it was chasing down like all the different Spider-Man, and they had him go after the Spider-Man from the uh, newspaper strip. But they did it as a newspaper strip, so every three panels started off with a minor whole, cliffhanger. Yeah, it was a whole new thing, and they had to recap what happened before. <laughs> and he's like, "What's wrong with you? Is there something wrong with your brain? We just, you just had this conversation twice." Nice. So he ended up not killing that version because. He couldn't stand it. He's like, I can't do anything here. He's like, my mobility is limited. For some reason, I can't move any. I can't move more than a step. And then we have to recap what just happened. <laughs> or he kills the uh, hostess fruit pie version. You know the one. He that does kill the hostess fruit pie one. Yeah. There's a big delight in every bite. Yeah, and I think that was at the end. I think that was actually said at the end. Awesome. And he also killed the uh, amazing friends version. Which I was very sad at. That is saddening. Hold on just one. Hold on just one second. Sure. Lily. I'm gonna mute this so I can yell. She's not listening to me, so I don't really care. Her phone was buzzing at her. I was gonna tell her her friends are trying to get in touch with her, but it doesn't really matter. Oh, get used to that. She's a she's pretty much a teenager. Get used to her not yeah. listening to you. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's see. Get my notes back up. Okay, um, do, 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 page six. True. Hold on one minute. If you're going, I'll be right back. We hit mute. Oh, there it is. Okay. 
Dearly beloved, we gather here to say our goodbyes. Here she lies, no one knew her worth. The late, great daughter of Mother Earth. On this night, when we celebrate the birth, in the little town of Bethlehem, we raise our glass. You bet your ass to la la Today's of inspiration, playing hooky, making something out of nothing. The need to express, to communicate, to going against the grain, going insane, going mad. To pension? No. To tension? No pension. To more than one dimension, to starving for attention, hating convention, hating pretension, not to mention, of course, hating dear old mom and dad. To riding your bike each day past the three-piece suits, to fruits, to no absolutes, to absolute, to choice, to the village voice, to any passing fad, to being in us for once. Instead of a them, la vie bohème. What? <laughs> <laughs>